Welcome. Welcome to the portion of the service today where we are going to have a baby dedication. If you'll look in your hymnals, you'll see this is a very special dedication because this dedication is for Isaac Matthew Hamus exclamation point. I had nothing to do with that. I assume that's Wanda's doing. But it's Isaac Matthew Hamus exclamation point. Did you know you have an exclamation point at the end of your son's name? We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Before we go on that, though, I want to talk about a little bit about what a scared me what a what a baby dedication is in the Adventist Church and what it is not. Uh, perhaps some of you are not familiar. We do not baptize infants in our church um, because we believe that baptism is, baptism is something that is a personal decision. It's between you and God, and of course, a baby doesn't uh, have the ability to make that decision. Um, but we do dedicate our children. To God, uh, so you understand this isn't this isn't like baptism. It's completely separate from a baptism. It's not related. It's not in place of baptism. A baptism is uh, is something that is done at least for those who do infant baptism. It is done with the idea that you you sort of ensure the salvation of the child. You you achieve something in that baptism. It's 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 an end. I had a, uh, a Catholic chaplain who worked for me when I was at the Appleton Police Department. And uh, he was on duty down at St. E's, and I was visiting him one time. And uh, he got a call that there was a baby that had just been born that wasn't going to make it. And I saw him running down the hall because in his mind, he had to get to the baby and baptize the baby before the baby died so that he could ensure the child's salvation. If you think about that, if, if you put yourself in that kind of thinking, that's a big deal. I mean, he was running for all he was worth. He was going to save a child's life by baptizing. We don't believe that, certainly. We have a very different, uh, uh, different concept of, of baptism. But the dedication, rather than an end, rather than an achievement, is really the beginning of something. The dedication is the start of something. It opens up something new. And in, uh, in Adventist doctrine, there are really four purposes for a child dedication. The first one is very simply to say, thank you, God. Thank you. But you know, we take for granted so often what could go wrong in a birth, in the, in, in the carrying of a child through gestation. Uh, some of us who've been through some challenges with that, perhaps miscarriages and things like that, suddenly you get a whole new appreciation for how delicate, how precious, how miraculous this, this childbirth really is. And so, first of all, we want to take the opportunity in a baby dedication to just say, thank you, God, for this miracle of birth. And then the second one is the, is the blessing. It is, it is to say, God, we give you this. We give you this child and ask for your blessing upon it. And probably all of you have been involved in something in your life where you have dedicated something to God. When we moved into our new house here in Nina, we went through, at my wife's urging, we went through room by room and dedicated each room of the house. We prayed and dedicated each room of the house to God because we wanted it to be a place where God is served. And uh, people have dedicated their careers to God. People have de dedicated uh, uh, things that they have to God for his, uh, for his glory and for His purpose. So that's the second one, the blessing. The third one is an act. I mean, this is, this is a commitment. And this is on the parents. This is the parents committing 
to raise this child, exclamation point or no, to raise this child to serve God. There's a big role in that for the parent. You know what the fourth one is? The fourth one is a commitment from someone else. All of you commit to help in that process to give this child what he or she needs to grow in the Lord. So those are the four things. There's no biblical command that says that we have to dedicate a child. There's many biblical examples. Perhaps the greatest one is when we see Jesus uh, blessing the children. It says in Mark 10, 16, he took them up in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. Ellen White says this, the mothers that brought their children to Jesus did well. Remember the text, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Let mothers now lead their children to Christ. Let ministers of the gospel take the little children in their arms and bless them in the name of Jesus. Let words of tenderest love be spoken to the little ones. For Jesus took the lambs of the flock in his arms and blessed them. Parents, give your children to the Lord and ever keep it before their minds that they belong to him that they are the lambs of Christ's flock, watched over by the true shepherd. We're going to have a few little pieces to our dedication service today. So I'm going to ask, uh, the family has asked Steve, Grandpa Steve, to provide a special music. So why don't we do that first, and then I'll bring everybody else up after the special music. Here comes the exclamation point. Steve, do you need any microphone work? Do you have everything you need? Okay. Okay. This part is really impromptu, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm actually reprising a song that uh, I sang nearly 30 years ago at, at another baby dedication. And uh, I guess because of that one, we are blessed with having another one today. God sent his son They called him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive He lived and died To buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future 
that life is worth the living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives but greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future. My life is worth the living just. Because he lives. All right. Let's have everyone then come up here with Isaac Matthew Hamus exclamation point. Grandma. And anyone else that you wanted to be here, if there's anyone else that you wanted to call up. You know, there's a, there's a tradition in the Adventist uh, baby dedications too. There's the portion where the baby is handed to the, to the, uh, to the minister and the baby cries uncontrollably. Uh, hopefully we won't uh, have to go through that. But if we do, we understand. This little baby, this, uh, this little exclamation point in the lives of Aaron and Teresa and Lexi and Steve and Denise and other family members, they have a new role. They have a big new role in raising this child for the Lord. And that's their purpose here today. So, shall we try? All right. What do you think? What do you think? Oh, <laughs> unfamiliar, unfamiliar. There we go. I'll hold them like this so you can help me out if we need to. Needs a burp. Okay. <laughs> Mighty God in heaven, what a special and precious and miraculous bundle of life this is. I thank you so much for the blessing that you have given to Aaron and to Teresa and to Lexi, as well as the extended family, Stephen and Denise. Thank you for little Isaac. Thank you so much for the gift of life and the promise of renewal that he represents. And Father, this morning, we ask that you bless this child to the family and to your kingdom. Put your protective hand on him, and the family gives him to you. The parents say, here, Lord, is our child. Let him be yours. We will care for him, but let him be your special child. And Father, they commit this morning to help raise this child to the best of their ability to know you, to love you, to appreciate you, and to be, there for, to be your child. 
And the rest of us, all of us in the congregation, can't take this lightly either because we are committing at the same time in partnership with the parents to do our part to help little Isaac to grow in the Lord, to have a strong faith, to understand his salvation, to understand and to appreciate and to love his Lord. Father, we ask for your blessing this morning on the baby and on each one of us in our role in this dedication. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. And now, I would like to hand something to you as a little gift. Lexi, I have some books here. Now, Steve and Denise recognize these. I don't know if Aaron does or not. He says he does. These are some books that you can read to your little brother as he gets older. Would you do me a favor? Here, let me hold these and open that first one and just make sure that they belong to the right family. Did we get this to the right family? <laughs> In about 15 places there, it says Aaron Hamus. Yes, these were Aaron's books when he was a young child. They were loaned to us as we were raising children, and we are now giving them back to the Hamus family for the next, uh, for the next generation. And I understand there are some other things to be presented here this morning as well. I'd like to thank the Hamas family for letting us be part of that. Now, our uh, scripture reading today is, comes from the uh, book of Psalms, uh, chapter 34, and verses 8 through 10. Psalm 34, 8 through 10. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in, in him. O fear the Lord you his saints. There is no one to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Morning. You guys actually get to kind of be part of an experiment this morning. I'm trying to live out the sermon as I give it. As I've uh, prepared most of my other sermons, I write them all out. This one's more in note form with just bullet points, so keep praying for me that I remember what, what I need to say. Um, but I want to talk this morning about trust. And what exactly is trust? Well, Webster's defines trust as the assured reliance on the character, strength, or truth of someone or something. I'm sure many of you can remember there used to be a time in this country when you could leave your house unlocked 
and go somewhere and not have to worry about somebody breaking into it. Can't do that anymore. I remember when I was a kid that my friends and I would ride our bikes all over town. We'd be miles away. As long as we came home by the time the streetlight came on, everything was fine. Can't do that today. People will take your kids. Was there anything out there left that we can trust anymore? We can trust God. This morning I want to look at a couple of biblical examples of some people that trusted God. And then we're going to see how we can use this for strengthening our own relationship with Christ. This morning we're going to start with a man who also had a child. He had been waiting to have this child for years with his wife. And he finally had it, and God told him to take him up into the mountain and make him a sacrifice. So if you turn with me this morning, I hope you brought your Bibles, because we've got quite a few texts we're going to go through here. So We're going to start in the book of Genesis, chapter 22. I believe Abraham and Sarah were very old at the time that they had their son. Who appropriately named his Isaac. And now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one of, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And we get down to uh, verse 10. It says, And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord stopped him, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him now. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What trust Abraham had to have in God. He waited so long to have that son with Sarah, and then God asked him to sacrifice him. What a testament to the trust that he had in that relationship with God. The next person I want to look at is Joseph. Joseph is definitely somebody that knew something about trust. And it will be in Genesis chapter 39. Joseph, as we know, was sold into slavery by his brothers, ended up in Egypt in the house of Potiphar. And as we read in the beginning of this chapter, Potiphar saw Joseph's character and entrusted everything in his house to him. There was nothing in the house of Potiphar that was not under Joseph's care, except Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar entrusted him with everything, and Joseph understood this trust because of the relationship that he had with God. He had already saw where God had brought him. But I think it's also Joseph's trust in God that saved his life. We start in verse 11. But it happened about this time, sorry, Genesis 39, verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. 
that she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. Um, if we go down to verse 17, she's telling her husband, Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened, as I lifted my voice and cried out, that he fled, left his garment with me and fled the house. So it was, when his master heard these words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did me, did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Now, I can't be certain, but I've talked with other people who are of the same opinion. If that had been anyone else that had been accused, anyone of a lesser character, I don't think Potiphar would have just thrown him in jail. I think if his wife would have accused them of trying to lie with her, they'd have been killed. The only reason Joseph was spared was because of his integrity and the trust that Potiphar had in him and the work that he had seen him do. And the next place that we're going to go is going to be to Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. And in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar in all his glory decides he's going to make a statue for himself. And he gives a decree that everybody should bow down. There we go. But as we see, there's three Hebrews there that refuse to do that. We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they refuse to worship the golden image that he set up. And this enrages Potiphar, or sorry, Nebuchadnezzar. Skip back a story here. And we go to verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face charged toward, changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat up the furnace seven times more than it is usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burn, fire, burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning fire. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it killed the guys that threw them in there. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fire, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They said, Yeah, we did. Well, he said, Look, I see there is four men loose and walking around, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth as like the Son of Man. Daniel's friends stood stuck with their integrity. They believed that God would save them. They trusted God to save them, and he did. And one last example that I want to look at quickly is in John chapter 5. 
And this is the uh, man at the pool of Bethesda. And Christ goes there, and he sees, if you know the backstory at the pool of Bethesda, that an angel would come down and touch the waters, and whoever was the first one to get in would be healed. So they'd all crowd around. But this guy was lame, and he didn't have anybody to set him in there. So he wouldn't get healed. And now a certain man was there. We'll start in verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the, water when the, into the pool when the water is stirred up. But when I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And, what's the next word? Immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath day. He didn't hesitate. He didn't think, well, I don't know if I should do this or not. God told him to do it. He trusted him, and he did it. But... These are all ancient examples, right? It's not relevant today, is it? How do we encourage trust in Christ to a world that seems to have lost trust in everything? How can we explain having a trusting relationship with a God when people look around and all they see are broken relationships? How can we explain Trusting God to protect people when the people that we love are dying every day. Why doesn't he save them? Why, when I was four years old, did I have to watch my friend Marty get run over by a car on his way home on his big wheel? Why when my uncle was doing a simple task of taking his mother-in-law to dialysis at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, did he have to get hit by a drunk driver and killed? These are questions that people have out there. These are real, honest questions that need a real, honest answer. Some things we're just not going to know. But the truth is, I believe the reason why these things happen is that they are a result of the fact that our planet is in the midst of sin. These things aren't God's fault. His design was that we should never, ever have known what sin was. He knew its effects. He could see the end. He could see the end result of what would happen if this world fell into sin. But because of Satan, we are now millennia deep in sin and suffering. But we need to trust that God has the end in control. We need to remember that in this lifetime, we're extremely short-sighted. We only see what's immediately in front of us. But thank God, seriously, thank God that he knows the end. The end that he has prepared for us is going to make the, the Eden that Adam and Eve have had fail in comparison. The paradise that he has prepared for his children, his redeemed, to come back, it can't be explained. 
I want to leave you with one last story that I hope will offer you some encouragement. And this is a personal testimony. It happened a few weeks ago. Um, I've always had a problem with money, not with making it or anything like that, but you know, when, when I don't have a lot of money, I'm very good at making it stretch to get what I want, but when I have extra, I seem to spend it on dumb stuff. Stuff I don't really need, you know? Whereas if I would go to the grocery store where we didn't have a lot of money, I would buy this brand, and it would be good enough. But when I had the money, well, let's get this one, even though it's $2 more. It's the same thing. But uh, I'm not very good at saving money. I I can't fault my mother for that, (laughs) even though she has the same impulsive habits, which my wife sees, and we're trying to work with her with that as, as well as myself. But I just never seemed to have been a good steward with money. And it's happened quite a few times where Satan will get the children to act up or something in church or they're just kids being kids and we end up going home and we have the tithe envelope with every good intention of putting it in the plate. But now it's sitting at home. It's on the table. Something comes up. We need money. Where do we go? That envelope. Well, a few weeks ago, I had to go to Sheboygan. Hardly had any gas for the car. Didn't have a lot of food left. We had about $40 to start the weekend. It was Friday. We needed to get to Monday when I got paid. And the tithe envelope was still sitting there. And I made up my mind that I don't care what happens, that tithe envelope is going to make it in the plate, no matter what. No matter what, that envelope is getting in there. So we took the last little bit of money that we had, filled up the car, got a few things, and I went to Sheboygan. And I did the Share Him Evangelism series for the folks there. Had a great afternoon. I'm getting ready to leave. And one of the members of the church came up to me and grabbed my hand and told me, This is to help cover your expenses because I know you don't get paid for this. I didn't look at it right away because I was talking with the the wheelers and and all that. When I got out into my car, I looked in my hand, in my pocket, and the amount of money that that lovely church member had given me was the amount of the tithe plus. Plus. Now, this may seem like a small thing, and to some people they would mark it off as insignificant, but there's no way in my mind that I know that that was insignificant. There's no way that happened by chance. God knew our need, we were faithful to him, and he took care of it. God asks us to trust him. It might be in a small way, it might be in a huge way, but he only asks that we trust him. And as we read in the scripture reading this morning, in Psalm 34, verse 8, you just have to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because he is. And like I said, there's going to be times when it's going to be hard. There's definitely going to be times when it's going to be hard when you think that everything that could possibly go wrong has gone wrong, is going wrong, 
There's nothing left to hold on to. Just remember, he's got the end in sight. And he knows what he's prepared for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings that we have. We pray now, Lord, that you give us the strength, the courage, and the commitment from ourselves and to each other to help us to build our trust with you, to have that trusting relationship, and to taste and see that you are good. We pray, Lord, that you help us to give all our cares over to you and realize that you are in charge. We pray that you be with us this week, be with the people that we meet, and just help us to continue on the way until you return. We ask this all in your name. Amen.